Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with our music movies series, as we're calling it, with a true Zach's choice. And when I say true Zach's choice, I mean that it is a movie I had never heard of and don't think I would have ever heard of if it was not for him. So, Zach, would you like to introduce what we're discussing this week since it is your true, true Zach's choice? Yes, this week we are talking about 2018's Box Lux. Means voice of light in Latin. Did you look yeah. that up, Zach? <laughs> no, I did not. But I know it's the name of a, the, the titular character played by Natalie Portman. Indeed. And uh, some younger girl who and then also plays girl. her own daughter. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Is that a spoiler? <laughs> well, that's the weird. Okay. Uh, yes. Can you movie... spoil this movie? Is that what we're going to talk about first? Because well, spoiler yeah. alert, it ends in a concert. <laughs> <laughs> See, just like the 18th episode, it ends with dancing. As you would, as you may imagine, music movies would end with a musical number. <laughs> okay, when I first told Rob about this movie, I said, like, don't read too much into it because I think the film starts with a. I don't want to say it's like a pretty big spoiler, but I don't. I, I don't know how. I guess the best way to describe this movie is that like our main character's name is unfortunately not Vox Lux, even though I think that'd be a really fun name. The main character is Celeste. Uh, she has a very terrible tragedy happen to her very early in life, and due to this tragedy, she is propelled to a career of pop stardom that uh, that that helps her and helps her and is a detriment to her in more ways than one. Indeed, I think that sums it up. If you're trying not to give you know spoilers away, <laughs> this is definitely a more recent movie. This is this is something like kind of in the same ballpark as Mandy. Where it's like, oh, we're actually not discussing something that's like many like months or years old. This actually just came out in December of 2018. Okay. Oh man, even more recent than I realized. Yeah. Uh, did so. I guess then that uh, raises the question: uh, Do people know about this? Did this get a no. theatrical release? Uh, well, well, it did get a theatrical release because I know it played in my local theater at one point because I saw the poster up. Okay. I but I this definitely got overshadowed by A Star Is Born with Lady Gaga. This definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got caught in the shadow of that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I'm guessing it made no money then? Do you know? <laughs> uh, no, I, it's safe to say the box office, $874,000. <laughs> yeah, wow. Safe, <laughs> safe to say, uh, ain't looking too good for Vox Lux 2, The Crimes of Celeste. The Crimes of Celeste, I dig it. Um, so, okay, okay. So nobody knows about this movie. Um, it is a music movie. I guess, you know, like you said, overshadowed by A Star is Born. So where do we want to go from here? Do we want to give it kind of a breakdown or maybe uh, talk about it more as a whole? What were you, what were you thinking? Um, I, again, this is not as crazy as other things. It's like, oh, like, how are we going to give a, a breakdown of like Cat in the Hat? Or when it's Gods of Egypt, we just kind of break down the insanity. This is a, it's, I want to say, it's kind of like a different movie for us on Cinemates. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a weird movie. It has not, chapters. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, it does. It's but a it, grown-up movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's reading and everything, but no, this is not the typical like. This is a Gonzo movie, not in just like spectacle, but more like character and performance-based Gonzo. 
Okay, okay. Because, like, the first time... Like, I originally heard about this movie when it came out in, like, December. And a couple times I see people trying to be, like, contrarians and being like, Oh, Vox Lux greater than A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whatever. And then, like, I'd hear things like, Oh, Sia did, like, the entire sound... Like, wrote the entire song for this movie. Yep. And I was like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> and then back, like, in February, like, I was finally, like, looking for it. And I found a copy of it. And I watched it. And I was like... I, I did. I, I know I liked it, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought about it. I knew I wanted to talk about it on Cinemodies at some point, but I'm like, how am I going to work this in into like a series? Because it's really there's really nothing else quite like it that I can think of, or at least off the top of my head, especially when it comes to like other like music genre films. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, this definitely probably was the catalyst for me uh, proposing doing music movies. Okay. Without without do without Vox Lux, chances are we'd be doing something else right now. Maybe uh, Montstober in May, May Stober. <laughs> That's how it works, right? Not Mont. <laughs> would that be uh, uh, instead of what Maester? Instead of Montstober, it'd be Maester. No, remember, remember we had Feb Stober. So, <laughs> so I think we just we're just gotta go with that now. That we we carry over the the October part, not the monster okay. part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so May Stober is perfectly correct. <laughs> good, good, good. So basically, that's what it kind of came down to. Is that I I really want to talk about this movie because. I, at first, I thought it like it, Natalie Portman gives one of the greatest scene chewing performances I've ever seen in this. Are you talking about the restaurant scene? Uh, I'm thinking about any scene. With oh, that okay. Natalie Portman. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I rewatched it again for this, for this recording. And I'm like, oh, it's not as over the top as I imagined it. Mm-hmm. And that's the weird thing. I feel this has a lot in common with Spring Breakers. Okay. Like the filmmaker is. Brady Corbet, who's mostly known as like a, a kid, like a, I don't want to say a children's actor, but he's definitely known for more his uh, acting credits when he was a child. I think okay. Rob knows him best from the film Funny Games, directed by Michael Haneke. Oh, okay. Sure. So, I, again, even like in preparation for this, I found like an interview that he and Natalie Portman did with somebody. And he says, but, uh, 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 more times than I can possibly count. <laughs> and, and the interviewer asked him questions and he's like, uh, uh, of course it's in there for that reason. And I'm getting the feeling that like he made this movie cause there's something he wanted to say. And it's either, he doesn't know how to say it or he just doesn't know how to explain it properly. Okay. Because I guess my question to Rob is what is this movie about? What is it? Not just like on a plot level. I mean, like, what is this movie's point? Like, in the same way, like, what is Spring Breakers about? Ah, so, um, I guess before I say, and I do have an answer to that question, since you already said that you liked it, Zach, I have to say I also enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed watching um, the whole, you know, almost two hours of this film. Um, so it was good fun. Now, what I think it's about, that ties in, I think, to why I liked it so much, I definitely, you know, kind of thought of this as, while it is a specific story, I thought of it more of like almost, I don't know, a, a fable or an allegory for corruption in the music industry. Like I definitely got, you know, kind of hearkening back to, of course, you had to know we were going to get there in the music movie month, Animal Collective, when we talked about Monkey Riches and I, we talked about how that song was very much like, you know, the agent is pulling your strings. I got a lot of that vibe from this film as well. And I definitely took the characters Celeste as our kind of, you know, pure innocence to, you know, almost purely corrupted or, you know, split apart into two personalities behind the stage and on the stage. And and I, I really like that theme about being being so tied to, you know, the music industry and following that myself. 
the first time I watched this, like clearly, like you get a Britney Spears vibe from from Natalie Portman's performance, mm-hmm. especially being a a child musician or what called performer, and she grows up and she has a teenage daughter. Like Rob said, is played by the the actress that plays Celeste earlier in the film as a child, and. It's like, oh, clearly, again, it's supposed to be that sort of just, like, pop diva lifestyle, the downward spiral of it all, how it kind of, like Rob said, corrupts people. Mm-hmm. But then on my Blu-ray forums, I was uh, uh, reading about it. Like, people were talking about it, and they're like, oh, like, the ending narration really threw me off about the movie. Because we Well, I would say that- that's, that's the closest thing to a real spoiler in this, because I, I still don't know whether or not to take that literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the things I didn't even pick up on that the first time I watched it. It wasn't oh, until okay. I I I read my com- comments on the Blu-ray.com forums that I went back because we didn't point out that Willem Dafoe's the narrator of this. And I, I think that's why it stood out to me so much because I, I I loved Willem Dafoe's voice in this. And at the end of the movie, I was like, I know he's going to come back. I know he's going to say something. And so when he did, I was really focused in on it. Okay, I was the exact opposite of that because oh. if, if if it did register the first time, it just it went right over my head. And so with that in mind, the second time watching it, I kind of looked at it, and that's the thing with with whatever his name is, Brady Corbet, is that like oh, if you watch this at face value, it's oh like this is Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Like, this is clearly supposed to be Britney Spears, and then you take it under the context of, and I guess this is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen Vox Lux. Is that the very beginning of the film? We see her as a child, and uh, she is—I I think she's the only survivor of a school shooting, right? In her yeah, classroom. I she's, yeah, I believe she's the only survivor in the classroom. She's the only survivor. She gets shot in the neck, and uh, we see her like again. She could. She goes to the hospital. She recuperates, and she writes a song with her sister, and she gets picked up by a producer played by Jude Law, who we didn't mention in this. And basically, she gains like pop stardom practically overnight. Then the film like fast forwards to again kind of like what we imagine Britney Spears in like two thousand like eight would look like. Yeah, and like, remember she- the catalyst for the time lapse is nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> we had to we have to point that out on Cinemodities. Over a year old, we still have to point that out. <laughs> yeah, it's good old nine eleven uh, pu- punctuating uh, moments in these films. Um. So that's and then like I and you go through the entire thing and we'll we'll break down certain elements as we go on, but like the final narration by Willem Dafoe is and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I'll paraphrase, mm-hmm. is that like, oh, after Celeste was shot and she made a deal with the devil to save her life. And then it's like, oh, then you go back to certain scenes in the movie, like where she's in the hospital room with her sister, and the sister's kind of like curled up with her, and Celeste says to the sister, I think I made a horrible mistake, mm-hmm. or I think I did something horrible. And the sister goes, what? And the scene cuts to another moment. Yep. And then you have moments like in Jude – I think Jude Law is supposed to be the devil in this. I think that's supposed to be the thing where the moment this kind of happens, he just shows up in the picture, and obviously he's the one that's been, been – again – her manager for 20 something years or close mm-hmm. to it. Um, seven, what 17 years. I think the time jump is, uh, yeah, I believe so. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Too, I think it goes to, yeah, either 16 or 17. Yeah. And then like, obviously even at the very end where she's doing her, like after all the kind of the mess she's in getting to the concert, that's pretty much what the entire second half is building up towards. Mm-hmm. And you're watching this second half and it's like, okay, what's going to happen to her. And at one point we see him cause you have, you have her sister and daughter in the crowd. And then you have him kind of like off to the side and you see, there's kind of like this, almost like a a 
I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of like a, a reflective, like, a, like almost like a gold water reflective like light they have on him that kind of makes it almost look like fire or brimstone okay. kind of. And it's like, oh, is he supposed to be the devil? Like kind of like she she made a deal with the devil, and now he Jude Law's character is her. Oh, what'd you call it? Um, I don't want to say guardian, but kind of clears the path. It's kind of like the devil that clears the path for her. her the demon that clears like that. Yeah, yeah, demonic handler. Yes, that's a good way of putting <laughs> demonic it. Demonic handler. I love it. <laughs> and that's and that's what it kind of because at one point like he even gives her what drugs. We don't know what he gives her, right? Um, no, they don't say specifically, but, you know, in that crazy, like, the way that scene is shot after they do the drugs and, like, the cameras, you know, kind of blurring everywhere, there is some, you know, snorting action, so I would imagine it's cocaine or something along those lines. Okay, because, like, in, in the interview I watched with, uh, Brady Corbet and Natalie Portman, like, the, the interviewer asked her, he's like, oh, like, what'd you use to, like, base that sequence off of, like, when she's in the, um, dressing room? In the concert, like right before the concert starts, she's like, "Oh, I watched a bunch of videos on YouTube of people like, like having like ketamine trips." It's just like that's what I based it off of, and so <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's what they were. That's what he gave her was ketamine. Okay, yeah, I, could I, be. Yeah, I, I defer to the 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 expert in the room amongst the two of us, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a less than a K-hole. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what she said. That's what she said. She goes, I watched a bunch of K-hole videos on YouTube. And that's that was kind of my foundation for my performance there. Yeah, so, I guess yeah. that would make sense because there is that scene where after, you know, Jude Law and, and her, you know, uh, they are in the hotel room and they do drugs. He's like, he leaves and it's the shot in the hallway where he's like, come on, Celeste. And then she just falls into the hallway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, I, I buy it. Yeah, because even at one point too, that like Walt, like his, the, the daughter's in the room with him, and she walks in Celeste, and he's she's like, get the f away from her. And again, I think it's a part of the thing. Like, and he's seducing the daughter too. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe not in the sexual. I think the whole thing is that he's corrupted the whole family. I think that's the whole point of this. Yeah. Like obviously, he's corrupted Celeste. He corrupts the sister early. We find out that he had he had. I don't know whether it was a one night stand, but he had something with the sister. Then he's starting to corrupt the daughter. And um, because even at one point, like right before she kicks the daughter out, Celeste, and she's talking to Jude Law and she's like, again, I don't have subtitles, so I couldn't tell exactly what it is that she says. But she's like, you you, you can F around with me later if you want. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, is that going on, too, between the two of them? Which wouldn't be surprising. But it's just like, oh, is that another again? it's, It's one line of dialogue, but it adds a whole other layer to their relationship. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, did you pick up on that or? I definitely did. Um, uh, I, I agree with you. I didn't have subtitles. I didn't go find subtitles for this. Uh, so I didn't have them also. So there was some stuff that was difficult to hear. But that line definitely stood out to me because of exactly what you're saying, that you know that's the moment in the movie where you kind of get that little bit of more information about their relationship, and, and it's, it's surprising. And the line she says, I'm pretty sure, we'll have to put the clip in, but I'm pretty sure it's, you know, she's like, do you still have drugs? And you can fuck me a little while we're high, or yeah, something that's like that. Is, yeah. And I was just like, oh, I was, that's, that's where they are at this day and age. And so, yeah, I, I totally get you. That, like, was, you know, almost jar, not jarring, but, like, whoa, that's a twist type of thing to me. You can fuck me for a little while we're high. The thing that makes this so weird, there's a bunch of moments like that in this movie, is that he just hints on it a little bit. Like, it's, just, it's there, he, he places it there, mm-hmm. but we never go back to it. But it has, yeah. great, it has great influence on the characters in the scene. And again, this is where it's, this is a very, uh, it's a difficult, I don't want to say difficult, because difficult is not the right word, but it's a very 
hard movie to kind of like reconcile because it feels like spring breakers where it's like okay this is a filmmaker that's trying to say something and i'm not sure if it's because they are trying to veil it that i can't easily obtain what their point is or it's because they're just incompetent and they can't do it mm-hmm. and that's why that's the problem with this movie is like i feel there's so many things going on because it's just like yeah it's like like was like what if i call it like the cheeseburger dilemma it's like what goes good with a cheeseburger french fries yeah. let's go good french fries uh, ketchup. What goes good with ketchup? Eggs. What goes good with <laughs> eggs? Uh, a cup of coffee. And you put this stuff all in a blender and it tastes like garbage. Exactly. Um, but sometimes you do it well. It's like, okay, what goes good with uh, peanut butter? You put chocolate. What goes good with chocolate? You put a little bit of ice cream in there. And sometimes like it does work. Sometimes you put enough of the ingredients in there, it doesn't taste like, like, like hot garbage. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of that where I feel like, okay, there is something here, but is it were, is it intentional or is it working in spite of itself? I agree. I agree with you on that question and the point that, you know, there definitely is something there. Like, I feel like I was able to interpret in, in, a, in a reasonable way that I enjoyed this movie. And, you know, like I've said in the past, I love doing that with movies. It's like, you know, what, are, what is this really about? But I do have to say that, you know, while I was watching it and trying to, you know, approach the movie that way, I did start to pick up on exactly kind of what you said. It's, it's, a, it's a blend of things. Like, they touch on a lot of really neat ideas, but never really develop them further. Not just ideas and concepts, but with the music industry or anything like that, but with the characters and the storylines as well. But they never truly get developed, and it just ends in a concert. Uh, So I'm with you. I don't know. I like to think that this was artfully placed together in some way, but I certainly could see, I understand the validity of that argument, that this could just be, like, you know... Uh, the pieces fell and most of them fell into the right places. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, again, going back to that interview I, I saw with Brady Corbet, you know, like I'm watching him talk and it doesn't inspire confidence in him. <laughs> okay. Just because like, I feel like he stutters too much or it's not that he, not that he doesn't know, but like, it's a feeling that I can relate to. And I've done, if anybody's heard me on this or the star Wars podcast is that you think faster than you can talk. Mm-hmm. He's, he's in the process of saying one thing. He's already thinking about the next three things he wants to say. And, and, and that's the thing is like, okay, I feel like that movie's kind of the equivalent of this. And maybe that's why I, I, I enjoy it as much as I do, because like with any movie that I like the first time I watch it, I'm always afraid rewatching. I'm like, oh no, I'm not gonna, again, the law of diminishing return. I'm always afraid yeah. I'm going to dislike it a little bit. The second time I'm like, no, I enjoy this even more. But I do think that, you know, that element of, of her making a deal with the devil is interesting. Mm-hmm. It does add another layer to the film to like go back and watch it under that lens. I definitely think it's it's just another superficial layer that really doesn't add anything. Okay. Because like Rob said, like you watch this movie and at surface, it's like, okay, it's Britney Spears, it's the music industry. It's the idea of exploiting a tragedy for personal gain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, like that's an interesting concept. Like, what would happen if like one of the kids from Columbine or one of the many school shootings we've had in recent years survived, had had uh, a nice voice? And was able to be propelled into pop stardom from that, mm-hmm. because even though like a lot of the um, the the public meltdown, or not even public, but kind of like the, I guess yeah, public meltdowns, I guess is the correct term, is very much again Britney Spears inspired. But yeah. like the concert at the end is something pulled straight out of a Lady Gaga show. Oh like, yeah, just the, the costume design, just the way she's performing, and then there's the whole layer of just what her music is. Because that yep. was a big selling point in, the, in what little marketing there was for this film. That was, oh, Sia wrote all like nine songs for this. Mm-hmm. And they are full-length pop songs. They're not just like 30-second little bites that they plug in here. And there. They are all like two to, like, to four-minute long pop songs. 
Yeah, I was actually um, looking at the soundtrack, and it's a it's a full album, absolutely. And and for the record, Rob, I have to tell you this: um, I I downloaded the soundtrack, and this okay. is like is scratching the Zach like eighteen ditch. I like, knew I knew it was as soon it. as I heard I this movie. I love it. I was like, so I I have nothing against the pop stuff. The pop stuff wasn't bad. You know, I actually liked that it was full fleshed out music that we were getting to hear in the setting of the movie or the context of the movie. But I also have to say, like, the score for this movie was also wonderful. I really loved a lot of, you know, like the um, the, the terrorist shooting scene. There's like that that horror, high string tension stuff. And all that was great in a lot of those transition scenes and shots. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that's like... <sighs> That's the problem with this movie is that there is so much going on. It's hard to discern like what it, what it is that he wants to say as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what it is. it's like. Okay, so you like again breaking down the plot. It's that you have the very beginning with young Celeste played by Raffi Cassidy, who is also stars in Tomorrowland, which we will get to sooner oh, or later. Okay. <laughs> She's a little robot girl that uh, George Clooney falls in love with. Falls in okay. love with. Okay. Oh yeah. Um. So you have that, and again, she has this tragedy. She gets shot in the neck. The sister, the sister's older than her, but I don't get how the sister was so because the sister makes the comment saying, "I should have been there in the classroom," but clearly the sister is older. Yeah, and the, at the very beginning, before the shooting even happens, it's the, the teacher says something to her, and it's like, "Well, my sister came in. She's from out of town, right?" Oh, I didn't pick up on that either. I think, yeah, like right before the shooting, she, uh, it's like, oh, did you do, the teacher's like, did you do something different with your hair, Celeste? And she's like, yeah, my sister cut it. She's a hairdresser. And the teacher's like, oh, what, the teacher says something like, oh, you should let her do my hair. I want to cut like that. And she goes, oh, no, my sister isn't, she lives out of town, so she was oh. visiting. And then the teacher goes, the teacher says something like, is like, oh, if she's back in town, like, tell her about me, because I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pay her for it. And then she says something like, you know, I just think it's time for a change. And then the teacher gets shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that was, I definitely picked up on that crazy transition. That well, definitely, I like jumped a little bit when that gun went off. I did not expect Oh, yeah. Well, that's because like I knew going into this that there was going to be something like that. But like when I first like watched this, because the film starts off where you, like, you see a car like driving like at night, it pulls into like some like shadow ridden, like, oh, at first you think it's like an alleyway. And some like, kid gets out and starts like walking down the middle of the streets like cars blow their horn at him mm-hmm. then we cut to the next day and it's the teacher sitting in the classroom like rob already said and then we have the kid we have the guy from earlier coming except now he has a buzz cut he has tons has like tons of eyeliner on we don't even really see him and like we said like she gets shot it is it's, it's a like i have to say this is like a jarring okay startling moment in the movie like it really is it is a yeah. very very realistic portrayal of what a school shooting what again i've never encountered that personally but i can imagine what that would feel like it's a very harrowing sequence mm-hmm. and i'm surprised this film didn't get more attention just for that reason like it is a like i'm, I'm just shocked that, that alone would like if this was any yeah. other movie that would have gotten this film some level of acclaim because that is a very again Oh, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say gritty because gritty's over overplays a term, but again, harrowing sequence, especially like the point where like she's kind of sitting there watching like this. She's like, "You shot the teacher." He's like, "Celeste, go stand over there." But you mm. shot the teacher, and again, it plays out like what you would imagine it would. And then she goes over there and she tries to calm the school shooter down. He's kind of responding to her at first. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "She's like, let everybody go. I'll sit here with you." And he's like, that's not going to happen. Everybody like, killed too many people. And then, like, the car outside explodes, which isn't explained. Not that, when I say it's not explained, I don't mean that in a negative way. It just kind of happens. 
the I think the school shooter says something about an explosion's about to go off. Doesn't yes, he? he says get away from the windows. He tells yeah, him to get away from the windows. And it's then it's just like just the car, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the car just kind of just explodes. Uh, or just catches on fire more. Like the window shatter catches on fire. <laughs> yeah. And then like in like at one point he like he shoots like what? The fire alarm and it sets the fire alarm off or the smoke detector. And so everybody starts like fleeing the school and they're trapped in there. And at one point, like, we see like a very close-up shot of her talking to one of her classmates. She's like, it's gonna mm-hmm. be all right. We're all gonna be out of here soon. And then he shoots them all at once. Yeah. And, and then the scene pretty much just ends, and we see the the police walk in and they're like scanning the entire thing. The police see it, obviously the school shooter shot himself. But she's still alive. And then we get the credit sequence over overlaid with her being driven to the hospital in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Which is stylized like closing credits. Yes, yes. Which I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe that's supposed to be symbolizing that's the end of her innocence. That's the that's kind of the the ending of her her life in any traditional mm-hmm. sense. I don't know. Um, that's what I mean. Though. Like it, it's such a weird movie. Like, like there is like uh, he is a talent. I haven't. I know Brady Corbett's only directed two films. This being a second, I've never seen his first film. What but, was like, the first? Do you know? Um, I don't, I don't think it, I've ever heard of him before. Nah, he's not as a filmmaker. No, he's done uh, "Protect You and Me," co-writer, co-editor, "The Childhood of a Leader." Never heard of it. Jeez. Yeah, I never heard. <laughs> no, nah, yeah, so, no, he's he's no most as a. Um, obviously, he's been in things like the movie Thirteen with Evan Rachel Wood and Nikki Reed, um, Thunderbirds from two thousand four. Everybody knows good old Thunder Thunderbirds. <laughs> Funny Games, Martha May, uh, yeah, Marthy, Martha Marcy May Marlene, Melancholia. Oh, he's in like Melancholia. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's he's, he's uh, Escobar, Paradise Lost, King of Queens, Twenty Four, Law and Order. King of Queens. Of oh, course, well, he better be in the Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, Zvu, or what? What was the nope. flavor? Vanilla, Vanilla Law okay. and Order, okay. two thousand eight. Law and Order. He played a Ooh. character named Patrick Friendly. One of the late seasons. If it's two thousand eight. <laughs> <laughs> He played in 24. He played Derek Huxley, the son of Jack Bauer's new girlfriend, in the first six episodes of the fifth season of 24. That's good. That's definitely the best part to have on that show. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, unless uh, Kiefer Sutherland's hooking you up to a car battery, you're not having a good time on 24. <laughs> uh, but no, so I, I, again, that that first half is really, really well made, mm-hmm. and then like. An hour and fifteen minutes later, you're having like Natalie Portman chew the scenery in a New York City diner. Oh, it's a it's like a whole different movie <laughs> at, that, at that split. It's crazy, and that I think was one of the things that I when I you know I was watching it, it kind of you know threw me for a loop that it was going to do that. And then because I remember watching it when I it was like the first you know fifty minutes to an hour. And I was like, isn't Natalie Portman supposed to be in this or something? Like, didn't Zach tell me that? And then, and then it's just like pops out of nowhere, and it's a totally different movie. And multiple times during the second half with Natalie Portman, I found myself saying, "Is she ever gonna stop?" Like, <laughs> like it's crazy. She is just like a she's like a force of nature in this universe, and just keeps talking and talking and talking. Oh, it was great to see. <laughs> like that's that's like that's the weird thing about this though is that like Natalie Portman's weird. Like if you read anything about Natalie Portman, she's insane. But it's like she like the first time you watch this, it does. It feels like a scene chewing performance. Mm-hmm. Then you rewatch it and you're like, oh, like well, the I think the best scene of this movie and probably my favorite scene is like after she like she leaves the diner or the restaurant with her with her daughter, she goes to the sister's like hotel room and she just like chews out the sister royally. 
Oh, like, yes, we are definitely going to have to put that clip in. <laughs> oh, like, it is like it is such a great performance. Like she just berates her sister and it feels so authentic. Like it's again, you could feel like, oh, this conversation has happened like thousands, if not millions of times in history amongst siblings. Yep. And it's just done like to perfection. That was fast. Where's Albertine? Oh, she's up in my room taking a pregnancy test. Because apparently you're so fucking incompetent, you let her get fucked by some hick from town. She's pregnant? Well, unless she inherited my bad luck, probably not. But I wanted her to feel the unease of waiting for that result because a parent or legal guardian disciplines their kid. They don't just hang out. I'm sorry, I had no idea. They fucked up. Twice. I know you're mad. How could I be so stupid? You know? You did so badly by me, why would I expect you to do right by her? I knew she was seeing a guy, but it, it didn't seem physical, I swear. You're a retard? No. Because sometimes your jaw slacks in a certain way where you look like life's just happening to you. You look like a retard. Please don't say that about me. Only crazy people get aggravated when you call them crazy. So you must really be retarded. I don't understand how you can hate me so much. Oh, hate you. Is that the kind of garbage you've been putting in her head? Because she told me all the shit you've been putting on her shoulders. You ungrateful sow. I have a press conference and two hours of roundtables, but I swear to God, Ellie, if my daughter comes back to me pregnant with some cross-eyed guidos, kitten litter, a hepatitis Z, I will throw you off that balcony. Ah! After everything I've done for you both! <laughs> After everything you've done for us? Good job. You've done it. Done what? You've hurt me. Embarrassed me. I've dedicated my whole life to Celeste, and I'll continue to do so, but if you threaten me ever again, I'll remind the world that I raised her child and that I write her songs. Touche. But today, that's a stack I wouldn't buy into. You can say whatever you want in this day and age. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, like this is great. But like then like Rob said, you have the diner scene where she's like yelling at the restaurant owner and she and it's like, oh God, Natalie Portman, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's not cringeworthy, but like it's getting there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, and that's the weird thing. Like you do have that weird sort of juxtaposition of like, oh, this is like brilliant combined with okay, you gotta like reeled in a little bit. Like I get it. She's over the top in everything she does, but you'll have moments where she will like reel in because I don't know. Like, like she she reels it in when she's with Jude Law, the publicist, yeah. the the daughter. But when she is anytime in front of the public, she goes ballistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why even like right before the like when she, when she is going what do you call it the K, the K hole trip is that what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, and she's like, like, like the sister has her like in the dressing room, and it's just her and the sister. And Jude Law is it Jude Law or is the publicist like, are we going to cancel? And the sister's like, no, I've got this. 
And like, and she's like, and Natalie Portman's like in the background, like where her like, oh gosh, she's wearing like a black bodysuit and like yeah. a sparkly like purple metallic jacket. She's like stomping up and down, and it's this weird sort of balance between like uncomfortableness and hilarity. And it's yep. like, oh god, like there's something again. It's brilliance combined with incompetence. I don't know which is winning at the end of the day. Yeah. Oh man, I do. I did enjoy that. Uh, well, I found it quite hilarious that uh, the jumping up and down scene where she's like throwing a tantrum. Because that's like directly after Jude Law is like, you're such a spoiled brat. And then she starts stamping her feet and waving her arms in the air. <laughs> yeah, like it's such a weird, like, that's what I mean though. And like you you compare this, the star contrast with like a star is born that made like $200 million domestic mm-hmm. and like over half a billion dollars worldwide. It's I'm off the deep end, watch as I dive in. And I'm like, there's nothing to this movie. Like there's, there's no, there's nothing about this movie that's exciting. Like the most exciting thing that happens in that movie is Sam Elliott punches Bradley Cooper in the face. Like, that's the only exciting thing. And that, spoiler alert, Bradley Cooper hangs himself in possibly the most hilarious scene of the year. Um, um, But yeah, that's what I mean, though. It's like, there is such brilliance to this. And this film just got, like, completely over... I don't know if it's, like, overlooked, but it just got, like, lost in the shuffle. Because I don't think you could over... Like, if you're any respectable film critic, I don't know how you could ignore this. Mm Mm-hmm. Except for the yeah, fact I that mean, obviously it doesn't star Lady Gaga. Well, sure. But it, yeah, it seems like it has all those pieces. You're right. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised to to hear that it went so uh, unnoticed. Yep. But a like I said, even at the start. The yeah, I, I, like I said at the start, I don't even think I ever would have heard about this, you know? And based off the numbers, you are not alone. <laughs> oh, man. Fox Lux. Fox Lux. <laughs> okay. That, that's her name. Not Celeste. Her name is Vox Lux. That is her name. Much like, uh, what was it, in uh, Payback? Mel Gibson in Payback? That's his his name. That's her name. It's Vox Lux. Okay, so her name is Vox Lux, and the album she's releasing and touring for in the second half of the movie is called Celeste. (laughs) No, it's all Vox Lux. Oh, everything's... (laughs) Every (laughs) album she's ever released has had the same title. (laughs) Exactly. Bingo. Okay, okay. I dig it. I dig it. So I uh, I think you mentioned it before, but I wanted to just maybe clarify. Did you like William Defoe's narration, or did you dislike it, or were you just kind of neutral with it? Well, okay, uh, I'm always under the notion that a narration is a crutch. Sure, but you can convince me otherwise. Definitely. In in this instance, I definitely think it's the former because it's like oh. There's no foundation for the whole. I, I feel the whole Willem Dafoe narration is the payoff to that is the devil line. Oh, she made a deal with the devil, mm-hmm. and that's why she's like she's a mess. Yet when it comes to her being able to perform, she's able to do it without any hesitation. It's like she, she's able, like she is a mess of a human being. Yet the moment that she she gets put on a stage, she knows what to, what's to, what to do, yeah. and she doesn't fumble. And clearly, okay, that's the that's the work of the the devil's hand in all this. Like that was the deal he she made with the devil is that you give me this chance at, at stardom, and I will do your bidding. And obviously, the whole pack, the thing of having the the audience kind of with her with every step of the way. Where at one point, like during the performance, halfway through her set, she's like, "Have you ever had a time when a boy tells you that you're ugly?" Yeah, and like, and you're like, "Yeah." <laughs> Have you ever had a moment when someone said you can't be all that you can be? Yeah. And it's like, oh, like that's clearly a Lady Gaga thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine if you typed in Lady Gaga, 
pep talk concert, you probably find a hundred <laughs> videos like that. She probably does that. In yeah. The of her oh, set. yeah, definitely. And it's like, okay, that's clearly that though. But again, throwing that devil line in there, especially the fact that like she went to a Christian school, she mm. came from what's supposed to be a conservative Christian family because we, numerous times she like tells Jude Law when she's younger that like, oh, don't curse in front of my sister. It makes her uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and then like at one point Jude Law, like, like Jude Law finds them like drunk in the bathroom. Oh and yeah. Driving like back from, so like, good. Air, back from the airport, and he's like, "I'm tired of this little Christian girl nonsense. I'm going to say every word I want now. You two are a mess." Yeah, he says in the back of the taxi or the the car, he says something like, "You know, since you went off and did whatever you wanted to without any concern for my, for uh, for me, I'm going to rescind on our deal, and I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want, whatever the fuck I want." These stupid bitches, and he just like just goes so hard into it. It's great. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, don't say you're sorry. Just don't do it. It's the same old shit with all you kids over and over. Your parents trusted me. I take that seriously. Are you smiling? Are you smiling? Don't smile at me. Jesse, you're funny. Don't yell at me. I'll stop yelling when you wipe that condescending beam off your face. Guess what? Since you two both decided to completely fuck off and do whatever you please, with zero consideration for what a terrible position you put me in, morally, ethically, legally, from now on, I veto your request and I will swear and fuck and curse as much as I please. Because guess what? I'm not buying this innocent little girl shit you two are selling. Fine. It's a deal. Just stop yelling. I'm obviously not yelling. If you're going to provide that layer of subtext about again the devil, the hand, like, like the the okay existential good versus evils role in all this, mm-hmm. which I don't know, I don't know how many people look at the careers of Britney Spears, Lady Gaga, Mariah Carey, any sensational pop star, and are like, oh, what role does existential good and evil have in this? Mm-hmm. Like that's such a, that is a very interesting way to look at someone's career. Like, like imagine looking at any like musician or, or again larger than life celebrity and being like, okay, what work does does what what would you even call it? It's just like I don't want to say religion, but like the dichotomy of of righteousness and not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like yeah. that's that's fascinating. That is a fascinating idea. And then once again you get a 10 minute long sequence of Natalie Portman in a diner <laughs> yelling at the manager. It's like, like that's what I mean though. It's like there's this like it feels like it's the next step for Spring Breakers. Like if somebody said, "Oh, Harmony Corinne directed Natalie Portman in Vox Lux," it'd be like, "Oh, he's refining his craft." <laughs> and then it's like, "Oh wait, this is the guy who played Jack Bauer's girlfriend's son that was also in Thunderbirds." Um, it's like, wait, what? And that's why I, I, I'd love to know. Like, this is a crazy idea. But I don't know if there's a pro- – I don't think there is a proper way to make this movie or if there is a mo- co- more coherent way. Because like, a movie like this is the ultimate dilemma with any movie. Like Rob and I, and I – I think Rob and I talked about this. I forget whether it was a Star Wars podcast or this where it was like, oh, like the ending of Twin Peaks The Return. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, what do you stupid people expect from the ending of a David Lynch TV series that he had yeah. complete creative control over? Like what do you expect? <laughs> You're not going to have a, a nice ribbon on top, nice bow. You're going to get the least sexiest sex scene ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Pretty much. Like, and that's even with this though. Like there is, there is no sex in this for the most part. Like they're like, yes, there's, there's implied sex. Yep. But they never show uh, any, anything close to it. 
Exactly. And that's another interesting like aspect of like pop stardom. Like you look at Lady Gaga, Britney Spears, like I said, like sex appeal plays a huge role into why they appeal to so many people. Mm-hmm. Like all the guys want like, I think somebody I think it was in that uh, back during Monstrober, I talked about my uh, Slash of the Titans book. At one point they wanted to put like a pop star in one of the iterations of Freddy versus Jason. And the interviewer asked like whoever the writer was, like, Oh, what pop star were you thinking of? And they're like, Well, we didn't have one in mind, just basically one that all the girls would want to be and one that all the guys would want to be in. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's like that's like that idea of a generic female pop celebrity that you kind of boil it down to. Yeah. Yet, I, I'd say like Celeste is not sexy in this at all. I mean, like again, adult Celeste, like when she's like the full fledged pop star, and it's like, oh. It's like that's not even like a factor And that's weird considering that like when we do look at someone Like Lady Gaga like we look at the sex appeal Aspect of like what like Got her fame Yeah yeah Is that you do like Rob knows like in the music business that's the first thing Sex sales like a sex sells baby That's mm-hmm. that's, that's what the music executive chomping on a cigar Says as he has his feet on his desk <laughs> Yeah yeah You're absolutely right I have to agree yeah there's uh, Kind of you know it's not until that Concert where there's more you know flamboyant Outfits and more of the of Natalie Portman's figure is shown off when she's not preparing or in the concert. It's very much like she's almost got like a, a punk, you know, I don't give a shit what I look like vibe type of thing going on. But that's that's the weird thing is that like I don't think it's not that I don't care. Like everything she mm-hmm. wears in this when she's an adult is like stylized. Oh, like, definitely. Like, like whether like was her first introduced to her as an adult when she's in the makeup chair and she has like like a bra and jeans on. And it's like, but she's never shot. Sexy like she's like there's never a point In this we're supposed to look at her and be like Oh wow mm-hmm. and, yeah. and like and again comparing this to a star Is born there are numerous times in that movie You're supposed to be looking at Lady Gaga and being like okay. It's like you're Looking at her and you're like wow like this like you know It might not be supposed to be overly sexual But it's like you're supposed to be admiring her Her form the makeup just what She looks like mm-hmm. and in this like it, There are numerous times we get full shots of what Celeste is wearing and even in the concert, the end, like, like again, once again, you can type in Lady Gaga in concert on Google Images, and you'll yeah. see some of the risque outfit she wears. Um, in this, the outfit she wears is like pretty much what entire like it's body covering. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do cover the body, but they're more form fitting, even with the uh, kind of extravagance that goes with them. Yeah, but that's what I mean, though. It's not like like it could very like, again. Natalie Portman's an attractive woman. Like it wouldn't be hard to sit her make really make her like. Uh, uh, make her look sexy, and they don't like. They really kind of make her make you make her look like somebody. Be like, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It's point. like a, I, I kind of don't want any parts of this. I don't like uh, again. And I think that's the part where it's like again, it's like Britney Spears, like two thousand seven, where it's like, well, it is like Britney Spears, but like, uh, it's like uh, still, I don't want any parts of this. There's, an <laughs> ick, there's like an ickiness, ickiness to it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Because even like we see this, because like, earlier in the film, like, because again, we don't know the age of the sister, but like we see the sister, and the sister looks like a, again, don't know the age, like a fully just normal person of her age. Mm-hmm. Then we get to her in the older years, and it's the same actress both times. Yeah. yeah. And when we see her coming down the stairs with the do- with the daughter, like she's just like she looks like a man, like a guy emaciated. Like she's just, like super skinny. She looks frail. Her cheeks are kind of sunken in. Yeah. And you, you can tell these seventeen years have had just as much impact on her as they had with Celeste, but obviously in a much more uh, less rewarding way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I noticed that, and I, I could, you know, there was a moment where I was like, "Is that the same person as the younger version?" <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even really pick up on that till the second view. I'm like, oh wait, it's the same actress. 
Yeah, I, I think I noticed it more when you got some of the scenes. You know, that scene when she first walks down the stairs, I, I, I kind of didn't focus on her because I was like, okay, so this this woman, this younger girl, gave eventually grows up to give birth to herself. That's great. Um, but <laughs> exactly. like later on, when it's like the the scene that you were talking about, where Natalie Portman's screaming at her sister, and there's more close up shots. That's when I noticed it. Okay. Yeah, because like I didn't really didn't notice it all. Cause the first time I was watching, I kind of didn't know what to expect. So I'm like, okay, I'm along for the ride. Yeah. And that's like, like I've talked about like during like the Aristocats, Watchmen. It's like, like the best kind of movies are the ones that like you don't have to look at the clock. You're just like solely just engaged with the screen. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Aristocats is 78 minutes long. Yet it feels like 780 minutes long. And this was like two hours long, and it felt like thirty. It's just like it's just moving. It's constantly moving. And yeah. you know, there are like there's even a couple of moments where the film actually slows down because after they leave the after Natalie Portman gets kicked out of the diner, she's walking down the street with her daughter, and the film like slows down, and we have Willem Dafoe narration again, and mm-hmm. it's basically telling kind of like the like the. Oh God! Like the the current backstory of the daughter. The daughter's like, yeah, oh, like yeah. like the daughter, like Celeste's daughter. What what's her name? Daughter's name is like what? Broomhilda? Oh no! It's like Ab, Ab something with an A. Ab, Abertine. 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 Yeah, there we Albertine. go. Albertine. <laughs> yeah, Albertine. Of course. Um, like Albertine <laughs> wanted to see her mother because she recently, like, she had like what? Like she recently had her first sexual encounter with a boy. Yep. And she was this, 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 and that. And obviously that that whole narration leads into the sequence with again Natalie Portman just uh uh, uh tearing apart the sister like yeah, I made her si- Natalie Portman she screams she runs into the sister's hotel room or whatever and she's like she's like my my daughter is upstairs taking a pregnancy test right now <laughs> like that's how that all starts oh it's awesome oh yeah she's like I, I, and the funny thing is like she's act like again that scene being so perfect the way it is. And she's like, I'm like, and that's weird because that's like her maternal instincts coming out. Like, oh, I'm going to scare my daughter straight. Like, she's probably not pregnant, but I'm mm. making her take a pregnancy test. So for like ten minutes, she's in absolute hell that will scare her from ever doing this again. Yeah. And she's like, you know, she, and, she, and then she makes a comment like, is she? In, oh God, what did she say? She says, if she is indeed like impregnated by some Staten Island pricks baby or like, oh. or like, like, yeah. or so it's like, Oh my God. Like it is Greg Rob say, no, that's, I don't know how long that sequence is, but if we have, if you haven't already heard it, we have to put it in somewhere. Yes. <laughs> um, cause that scene is great. Like, it is a great scene. And again, even like at the end, cause again, it goes from that to like, she starts just attacking the sister and the sister starts like lashing out at her and she's like, fair. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and she walks out of the room. It's like, and like, like, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in that, like, when that was being filmed? Like, what would have been like, everyone's like, well, what's going on here? Like, I'd love this to see, like, like, that's the weird thing about this, too, is that, like, Natalie Portman is, like, clearly more famous than Brady Corbet. So it's like, did, how much power does she have on set? Like, this yeah, film, question. so, like, this movie would not get made unless she signed on for it. Like clearly they got their funding because she attached herself to it. Whether mm-hmm. she has like a production company that funded it or because her name got it funded through third parties. It's just like, but like how much, again, there's a driving force of her doing this. Cause I feel sometimes that like the script might've said something and she just like kind of just overrode it. You think she, uh, you think she, uh, you know, tried to summon the spirit of Marlon Brando while she was working on the, this, the set of this movie. <laughs> like, I, it would be great. Oh God, like maybe, maybe. Someone's got to ask Natalie Portman what her inspirations for uh, Celeste were in Vox. Vox. I, I bet that one of the one of the versions of this script that after Natalie Portman signed on included Nelson De La Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where that's where uh, Albertine came from. It's a mini me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh God. So yeah, like and then like uh cause again, numerous times again, Celeste has meltdown after meltdown. Like she she's in like a like a press junket and they're asking her questions because there was like a terrorist shooting in like what in, in a Norwegian country. I think it's in Croatia. Oh I'm sorry, it's in Croatia, excuse me. I think, I think that's what they say. Like she has like this press conference and she just goes like ballistic and she's like, I'm going to, like, she says, Oh God, I love the Staten Island accent. Oh like, yeah. I, I, oh, it's so over the top. And she's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to invite them. I'm going to invite them. It's like, Josie, can you get four invites for the oh my, cowards oh my. who wear masks? <laughs> That's what she says. Oh, it's so, and then she goes on to say, like, she's just like rambling and she says something like, She's like, I am the new faith or something like that. <laughs> yeah, she has like a, like, like we're bigger than Jesus moment. She has something yep. like that. Exactly. And then like and then like you have that and like they have her in the elevator and they're like, can you like I think Jude Law is like, can you just calm down for once in your life? <laughs> Why do you think they chose you? Do you assume there's some connection to New Brighton? I don't know. I mean, I, I know about as much as you right now. And um <clears throat> You know, since no one's coming forward and saying, hey, we did this, I, I, I'd prefer not to speculate. But if, if they did choose this disguise on purpose, I'd, I'd guess that it's because they don't like that I'm a woman or maybe they don't like I, that I'm a successful woman. Maybe they don't like that I, I had a kid when I was a kid, but maybe they think I'm a floozy, but, but maybe you guys think that too. I mean, the way I've chosen to live my life goes against some people's views on things. Are there any links between you and Central Europe? Not really, not that I know of. I've never played a show there, so I, I, don't, I don't really know. Next question. Are you in the band still going forward with the show tonight? Well, there's not really enough information yet to justify canceling. And my dad always says, never postpone joy, so uh, yeah, I'll play if they let me. Next question. Afternoon, Meredith Dash covering Greater Northeast. Do you have anything you wish to communicate to the perpetrators of today's attack? Yeah. I'd like to tell them that when I was a little girl, I used to believe in God too. And if they ever come to their senses and they want something new to believe in, they can believe in me. Because I'm the new faith. And I'm not afraid of them. Hell, I'd even like to extend an invite to my show tonight. Josie, can you make sure to put cowards and masks on the guest list? I'm sorry, but can you explain what you mean exactly? I don't know. I was just making a quit. Do you actually believe the weird shit you said up there? They wanted a show. I gave them a show. All right, this place is swarming with press. Can I kindly ask you two to keep your mouths shut until we're finished? Fine by me. Let me handle it. Go smoke a cigarette or something. I don't know like why this movie got overlooked because it has solid performances. Mm-hmm. It's eye catching. Like this is a film that, like, in all honesty, if like, I saw this before it came out, I'd be like, okay, clearly this isn't going to make a ton of money. But like this is going to find an audience. Like like a certain segment of the population is going to find this and just latch onto it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Like I don't think it has because like I remember when it came out on Blu-ray a couple weeks ago and I saw it at Best Buy, so it is getting like a somewhat like wide home video release which is weird for something like this this would be something like you could find maybe only like at amazon or like like an online only release sure but just like i this is again i can't wrap my head around this film i just really can't for so many different reasons and it's like it's weird sort of thing where it's like i don't want to explain to me 
But at the same time, though, I feel like there's like, oh, there's like one line of dialogue. Maybe it is the Willem Dafoe narration that should explain it. Yeah, I still don't think it would do that good of a job at that. I'm, I'm looking for a key that unlocks the film, and I don't think it exists. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you there. This definitely, I think, well, I, I would, I must say, I think all of my notes, with the exception of like one and then the snacks, were before the Willem Dafoe line. And so I very much enjoyed kind of, you know, thinking about this movie before getting that little devil stuff at the end. That certainly made me think about different things, but the, the majority of the time I, had, I did not know that that was going to happen and I was not expecting it to happen. So, but even with that being said, or, or with or without it, the, this movie is kind of so weirdly a blend of so many different things, I think... It can't be unlocked, like you said, and it's one of the things that I love to say, oh, you show it to somebody, and you can get a bunch of different interpretations, probably. And that's the problem. Is that not enough people have seen this for us to get interpreta- multiple interpretations exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah, so you heard it first here. We have the, we have the canon for Vox Lux. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, like, even, like, in preparation for this, I, like, I went onto, like, YouTube and, like, typed in, seeing, like, if there was any, like, I've done this numerous times, like, oh, like, Vox Lux explained mm-hmm. or anything like that. And there, I don't think there's, there's only, like, there's interviews, there's the music, that sort of stuff. But when you, like, go on, like, Apple Podcasts and you type in Vox Lux, there are dozens of, like, podcast reviews about this movie. Interesting. Okay. So it's like there, there is, there are people that are looking at it, but just not at like not in the conventional like YouTube sense or like again like you type in like uh, like Avengers Infinity War yeah. explained the Sixth Sense explained Glass explained <laughs> it's just like it's like all these things just like oh like insert title here explained and there's none of that for this. Okay, Which means okay. that there's clearly not a demand for it because nobody's watched it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other like noteworthy scenes in this. Because like, there's even the scene too, like when they're on the tour bus heading to Staten Island, and she like starts to freak out. Celeste, she's like, "Pull over, pull over!" Oh yeah. And, and like her and like and the daughter get out, and like they're looking at, like like the water the water line. And I'm like, what? What's the point of this? Yeah, like, because yeah, the daughter's like, the daughter looks confused. Celeste is having some sort of moment, but it's never outlined or even hinted at what she's feeling at this moment. Like, mm-hmm. I guess she's still tripping to a certain degree, but it's like, oh, okay. Like, I, I still don't get what this is pertaining to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That scene definitely did feel out of place to me. Where you know she runs down, they kneel on the beach. And she's like, Neil, Neil, daughter. And she's like, Mom, I don't want to. And she gets her down on her knees and he's like, let's have a moment of silence. And then yeah. I'm just like, well, I'm like, OK. <laughs> yeah, that's again, there's, there's moments like that where it's like, OK, well, clearly this has a moment. This means something for someone. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, I haven't cracked it yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to think what other scenes in this that are noteworthy because you have the whole thing like they have her like and, and plus too I think the tone of this movie shifts all over the place again like I said we have the school shooting mm-hmm. which is harrowing in its own right then we have her like in like in the hospital then the church and then we have like the whole sequence where like he has like a, like a god like the Willem Dafoe narration has like a takedown of like the Swedish music industry yeah post World yep. War Two and that even that kind of like starts to like uh, it just kind of drones on. 
And it kind of like it goes nowhere. Like at first he starts talking about like oh post World War II, uh, uh, Swedish families didn't want didn't want like the jazz music from America corrupting their youth. And then like different music producers would do this this this, and then it just starts kind of. Yeah, I definitely I definitely felt that as well because you know that's I think there's a lot of great stories in the history of uh, time period that he's discussing in that narration, but it's like the way that it's written. He's saying a lot without really telling us anything. <laughs> it's, it's played over like what, like a montage, yeah, just like what B-roll, just like old like stock footage of of Sweden of that era. And it's like, oh, okay, like this is now we're gonna have a takedown of like, because I know like Rob knows, like when it comes to pop music, a lot of like the major influencer producers of that are from that region of the world. Right. Yep. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is what it's. I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, so this is what it's gonna be about. And it's like, nope. Then we go right to the then we go to like them like doing stuff like in the recording studio and like in Jude Law and Young Celeste have like their have like their moments in the hallway together. Mm-hmm. Then like oh then like we have another montage where Willem Dafoe and is watching not watching but he's narrating over like the sisters like sped up having their moments like oh this is the first time Celeste and her sister uh, were bonding. The sister always felt she kind of neglected Celeste over these years. Yeah. Was it the first time they really felt together? In a way, they got to experience all these things for the first time. Like Celeste had her first drink, and the sister realized this probably wasn't best for her. But considering all the tragedies she suffered, uh, uh, it really wasn't anything that she wasn't ready for. And blah 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 blah. And then we kind of go to the thing where then there's moments where again the record. The, um, I don't know what you even call her. Uh, what what is Julie in this? She's the 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 record label. She's their representative from the record label. Or? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. And there's a moment like where Jude Law is like, like, like they're in the meeting and like he's getting mad at her for saying these things. Like you, you don't have this conversation with them. You have it with me. Yeah. But for some reason, the sister's in on all the meetings and um, like, like that's the like, that's the weird thing. It's like, oh, the sister's there from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, oh, the sister clearly gets cut out somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that's intentional. I get that. But it's like, OK. But at the same time, though, like even before we we do have the time jump to old Celeste, it's like the sister is never part of the act. It's always going to be Celeste. Yeah, yeah. Yet the sister is there every single every beat. And it's like, oh, okay. In the first half, I took it as um, Celeste was the singer and the sister was writing her songs, and so that's why she was there with the oh, is that with the agent stuff. But I, then I, I don't know, kind of, that's what I, yeah, she was the songwriter, the performer, and then their agent would go all go to that meeting. But then I didn't really get, you know, because the, the, the 9-11 also happens where Jude Law sleeps with the sister, mm-hmm. and then the time jump happens, and you're right, I'm like, and what, the narration even says something where it's like, you know, Celeste cut her out. But then she's still there. <laughs> well, that's that's the weird disconnect with this, yeah, though. Is yeah, that, like, exactly. you ha- like I, there's another argument to be made, especially with that de- that devil line in the narration at the end. Really, kind of just it, it, it throws the entire board up in the sense, like it kind of all the pieces get rearranged. Exactly. And because, like, you can make an argument that, like, especially the boardroom, you have or the the conference room, and it's like, okay, on one side you have Jude Law, the other side you have the sister. You could say it's the angel and the devil on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. The sister is the thing that's keeping her grounded, that's keeping her toward the light, and Jude Law is corrupting that. His influence gets more and more profound. Yep. And then obviously, once Jude Law sleeps with the sister, it's she's she's uh, the sister now has been corrupted. And yeah. they, I think he even says in that narration that at that point, Celeste started to distance herself from the sister. Mm-hmm. And because then we have because we have the moment where Celeste 
okay, we even left at the part about like Celeste goes to what like an underground like punk show, meets a guy, yep. invites him back to her hotel room, and like they have like this conversation, like like some like a weird form of pillow talk where she's like like and that's like, the other thing too that this film doesn't get a lot of credit for, especially like nowadays like long takes are so popular. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, it, there's so many long takes now that are done with computers, and there's so much cheating. Yeah. Yet with this, like, there are so many long takes that you're just like, wow, like this is what filmmaking used to be. <laughs> especially like, especially more for the actors. Like, this is more of a performance film than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's a long take with like Celeste laying on the bed, and like the, the the punk rock guys like laying there next to her, and like like they're both like kind of talking, and like she makes a comment like, "Your kind of music's the guy who shot me would listen to." Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And the guy's like, "Well, maybe it was the thing that was keeping him from going over the edge earlier, but maybe it was the thing that pushed him over that edge." Yep. And I'm like, "Oh, like that's like again, that's an interesting concept to be telling somebody that's about like who suffered from a tragedy like this, that's on the verge of being like in this world where like, oh, your music could have an influence on somebody." Yeah, I loved and that it, scene. I thought that was such a, a great, intriguing idea for them to bring up in this in the context of this film. So I was uh, totally on board with that. Exactly, and then it gets dropped. <laughs> and yep, that, like I was saying before, you know, it's like they can touch on these cool concepts for ideas or their characters, and then they just never come back to them, and it all ends in a concert. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's why I mean, though, it feels like again going back to what I thought about Spring Breakers, where the ending is like the credits is Ellie Golding's Lights, which is the most generic of generic pop songs. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like this is what this is doing. It's like, oh, it all ends in a pop song at the end of the day. Oh, and it's yeah. like, oh, okay. And obviously, this has this is a little bit more tainted because we have the Willem Dafoe narration at the very end. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh my God, like this movie, again, it, it's wanting to say so much, but it's just, it, it's just, it doesn't know what to pick. But at the same yep. time, I keep wondering, is it intentional that he's not trying to pick something or is he just not, is he still green behind the ears enough that he doesn't know how to pick just one thing? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the ultimate conundrum. And obviously you can't ask the director, how incompetent are you? We can't during, tweet somebody that? <laughs> well, he's probably on Twitter, but I don't know. Cause even the interviewer like asked him a question. I forget the exact like scene the interviewer was referencing, but he's like, oh, like in this scene in the movie, um, like, was this like, did you do this on purpose? And his immediate response, Brady Corbett was like, everything in the film is intentional. And I'm like, oh, shut up. I'm like, that, <laughs> like, like I hate, I hate blanket statements when it comes to art. Like, I yeah. hate blankets, especially about your own art. It's like somebody's asking you a specific se- a question about your work, and you're gonna be like, oh, everything was intentional. It's like, oh, shut up. And it, 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 it's such an obnoxious answer. And that's just yeah, who he I is. Like, like, he is. It's like, it's an obnoxious answer. And that leads me to believe that he, he doesn't, he's too young. He still doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a firm grasp on his craft yet. And you have that sequence. And, and cause then we go, cause she, after she has, I, we're guessing she has sex with the pop, pop, rock, uh, pop rocker, right. Or punk rocker. Jesus, please. Um, yeah, I, I think it's even implied in the second half of the movie that that is the father of the, of the yes. kid. Yeah, 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 yes. Because yes. then after that, she stumbles into the sister and the Jude Law in bed. Once again, no sex scene, just implied. And she like goes over to the curtains and she like opens the blind. The sister's like, "What are you doing?" And it's like something happened. I'm like what? And it's like something happened in New York. I'm and pretty sure like, she says that a plane flew into a building in yeah, New okay. York. Like okay. that line is actually spoken. And I was okay. like, "Wake up! <laughs> what are you doing in here? You gotta wake up!" We have to call mom and dad. Where's the remote? 
Okay, you crashed into a building in New York. I was like, there it is, 9-11. <laughs> Made that note. <laughs> oh, that, that's another thing on cinema. It's like, it's like a drinking game for cinema. How many times is 9-11 referenced? Either through dialogue or visual imagery. Because then, like, after that, it doesn't even... It doesn't jump in time. We jump then to... They're filming the, one of her music videos, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And we have her... Because when she's talking to the punk rocker, she's like, I have a dream where I'm in, like, a... A tunnel and It's just a perpetual tunnel and I just constantly keep driving down till I eventually wake up and I never make the end of it mm-hmm. And during that we actually see the tunnel and Then when they're filming the music video And they're wearing the same masks That we'll later see in the film From the, the, the people yep. shooting people up on the beach Like we see that exact same tunnel mm-hmm. And it's like Oh okay Because like, I'm not sure about Rob But like anytime I think about celebrities and tunnels The first thing that comes to mind Is Princess Diana <laughs> like, That's the first thing that comes to my mind It's like you think of like celebrity and tunnels Nothing good can come of it yep. It's like planes and buildings Nothing good can come of it And I'm like oh maybe they're leading toward that Like in like the, the, the kind of like the Again, before I knew about the devil line, when I was watching this the first time, I'm like, oh, baby, this is going to end in a tragedy. The whole mm-hmm. idea that, like, okay, she's going to eventually die from something, not because cause she was like, she was destined to eat a bullet during the school shooting. She somehow is able to survive that, so she's destined for some sort of catastrophic end to her life. And, mm. and it's like, oh, no. And and that's what I mean though. It's like again, again, is it me reading too much into it, or is it stuff that's being uh we're building towards that just gets dropped off? I did I did pick up on the the tunnel that when she talked about it, you know, they show the tunnel in the dream sequence and then they they show them in the uh filming the music video. Um I thought that was hearkening back to the beginning, because we as we already mentioned, where we get to see the school shooter walking down that tunnel, right? Oh yeah, I, I didn't. Even, yeah. I didn't connect it to that. So I, I thought it was, you know, hearkening back to that as well. That we kind of got, you know, the, the the same tunnel was, you know, repeated to some extent. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I didn't even put those two together. And so the other thing that definitely stood out to me was um, when there, when you have that little sequence of, you know, Willem Dafoe's. Uh, he, I think he says some stuff, and they're they're like filming the music video, and basically the word, you know, we're hearing the song. I think very at the very end. There's a shot like from the, you know, from the green screen almost looking at Celeste back and all the cameras and the producers are standing in front of her. Yeah. And and she says, you know, one for the money, two for the show on three, get ready and four, let's go. And then that's in the Willem Dafoe line. He says that and says that's what the devil made her say to like, you know, make this deal Uh. with him. And so I was definitely like, okay, you know, that was something she said probably was made to say by the producers at that stage of her career because you know they have so much control over the the ins and outs of that stuff and and so i was definitely like okay you know it's like she's continuing this deal with her devil is what it made me think of after the fact hmm. all right folks i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch this movie now <laughs> yeah I, 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 this is a dense movie it really is there's a lot to it it needs to be unpacked but like that's the problem. It, it didn't get enough attention for anyone to do any sort of like really meaningful critical analysis for. Exactly. Exactly. One of the other, the, so the last note, the only note I took that was after the the devil line was that I thought it was quite interesting that there was no music during the end credits. Like oh, it was just yeah. silent, and so I was like, "Oh man, I want more music." <laughs> Damn straight, I want more music. And of course, I guess since we mentioned the 
opening credits, the closing credits are stylized as opening credits. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the thing too is like they reference that like what Vox Lux is what like her. They say what album? It's like her sixth album or something. I think it's her sixth. Yeah. And like, oh, it's supposed to be like a rebirth of like what she's supposed to be doing mm-hmm. with and sci-fi anthems. With sci-fi anthems, yes. And because. On that note, can you tell us what audiences can expect from the new album? Sci-fi anthems. Mm. That's the whole thing. Is like, like you said at the beginning of the credits, like it's supposed to be like a new chapter for her. Yes. Yet, yet you don't get that vibe. Plus, like as Rob knows, like I, I guess, okay, I guess because because the album's not out yet, right? By the time of the concert. No, I don't think I don't think it is. I think so, they're like they're touring to promote it, and it's going to release sometime during the tour, most likely. Oh, uh, is that okay? So this is my question to you. Usually, do you don't you release the album first, then go on tour? Um, I've seen I've seen it all. Um, I think it okay, been, put your oh. pop put your pop singer hat on though. I don't know. The band I was going to mention is Phoenix, and they're they're that last album that they did this for was damn close to pop. <laughs> okay. Um, but they are also a French band, so that might be more of of uh, you know their label's style. To be fair, you know I can't really think of a a U.S. artist that has done that in recent years. That's, that's so yeah. I mean, when you think of like, like again a Taylor Swift, the Lady Gaga, usually the album comes first, then like yes. three to six months later, then the tour gets announced. Yeah, I yeah definitely that's more common. Absolutely. So so the question is the songs we hear at the end, there's a possibility that those aren't even on the Vox Lux album. <laughs> Yeah, right? none of them really none of them sounded like sci-fi anthems to me. <laughs> sci-fi anthems. Like like that's what I mean though. So like it's like, oh, because I was wondering about that. I'm like, that's weird. Like they're promoting like her new album. Yeah, she's going on. They're saying like this is the very first like stop on her tour. Cause it's like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's in my backyard, Staten Island. Yep. And it's like, okay. It's like that's weird. You usually don't like like start like playing. Like you might I think Rob could say sometimes artists will play new songs from their albums. Oh yeah. Like they'll, they'll play like one or two songs and that'll be kind of like a tease to build hype for the eventual album. But um like I said, that's no point. She's supposed to be again a, a stereotypical pop star. She's not supposed to be anything like indie or experimental. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and and I have to say, Zach, that while you were talking, I was racking my brain, and I actually did think of another artist that I know of who toured prior to a new album they were releasing. And not only did they tour prior to the album's release, the entire set list was the new album. Mm. So I think you're going to absolutely love who it is. Are you ready for this, Zach? Well, just Panda Bear, but yes, partly Animal Collective. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Panda Bear. I remember being at that concert with two of my buddies. It was out in Pennsylvania, and the show started. We loved it, but like three, four songs in, my buddy turns to me and he's like, do we know any of these songs? <laughs> and I'm like, not at all. <laughs> and then we have, we found out after the fact that it was the whole new album. So yeah, only other instance I can think of. Rob, do we still have Panda Bear and Legal Retainer? I, I We better. We better not have, have lost uh, or stopped paying him those uh, <laughs> minutely installments. <laughs> we should call him and ask him to do a commentary with us on Vox Locks. I bet he'd have some interesting insights. Oh, that would be awesome. I think he's still living in Portugal, so maybe we'll oh. do a special, like, abroad month of the okay. of the podcast. <laughs> Portugal month? <laughs> yes. 
Portugal month, where we're not talking about movies from Portugal. We're just in Portugal. Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so two more things I have to say about Vox Lux. Okay, okay. Um, One thing is that they make it very clear in that uh, she gets shot in the neck during the school shooting. Yes. And for the rest of the film, we see her. She always has some, like, level of, like, neck covering on, whether she's younger or she's older. She always has some sort of, like, neck cozy. Yep. Except there's one shot where we see her taking it off and we can see her neck and the scar of where she shot is visible, but it's like the most minimal scar ever. And considering her net worth, because at one point, like she had some sort of accident where she ran someone over, like in a, a like some sort of either pill infused or drug infused or, or yeah. alcohol infused stupor that she has money. The scar is there, and it seems she could very easily have this scar, like, removed with plastic surgery. Okay. Yet, it's there for one, like, like brief shot in the entire film. Okay, I didn't, when was it? I didn't pick up on that. It's later, I think it's, I think it's after she had, it's either right before, it's either right after the diner scene, and right before she has, like, the press junket. Okay. They have her take, they have her putting on it. It's late, it's in that general area where they're having her switch outfits. Sure. I think it's, it's before the, the concert at the end. And, or maybe it's in, maybe it's in the, um, the room with, uh, what's his name? Jude Law, when she's oh. with him. Oh, Okay, okay. And it's like, but you see it for like a brief instant. Now, maybe it's not there. I think she's with the, the, the costume or the, the, the wardrobe person. And I think you see it for like a brief second. And, and then we see her covered up again. And it's like, that's interesting. Clearly, she's embarrassed by it. Not embarrassed, but she's, she's concealing it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she could very easily get rid of it. Hmm, I find interesting. that interesting. And that's, and I thing I can think of is that maybe this is kind of like a Marilyn Monroe with the, uh, the, the, Beauty mark, where it's like this became kind of like her trademark, mm-hmm. but at the same time, though, like she could very easily get it removed and still wear the neck cozy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so it's like, okay, that, but again, that's an interesting idea. The fact, like, okay, she has this scar that's kind of like defined who she is. If it weren't for that scar, she wouldn't be where she is today, or it represents where she is now, yet she still has it, yet she covers it up and could very easily remove it if she wanted to. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Like I said, just again something to chew on. I, I can uh, yeah, maybe definitely. it has a meaning. Again, like Brady Corbet said, uh, everything in the movie is there for a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, if that's true, you hopefully like, maybe he would leave us a treasure map to some of those clues that unlock that. But hey, maybe that'll be in a Vox Lux two day of the Albertine. <laughs> what did you call? What did you call it? Like I, I liked it. A neck cozy? Is that what you said? Neck cozy. Oh, that's great. I love it. I think it's actually called a choker, but <laughs> I like Necrozy no, better. Well, well, choker, like, okay, I, I want to think of choker, I think something very specific. And well, not just, and not are just you like, it's like thinner? Well, she has like, like, it's like, it's sometimes she has it and it's like frilly. It's just like material. Like, like I, I it, it feels more like, okay. I mean, you think of a choker, I think of something a little bit more like, um, I don't want to say elastic, but something a little bit more like form. This feels like something that she is strapping to her neck. I agree. I, I guess I, my definition of a of a choker is much more general and would would cover things. That I I you. guess I, I guess again I, I, I maybe I just like saying the word the phrase neck cozy. It's a maybe great this, no, it's a great phrase. I mean that's what it should be called. <laughs> anytime you, you walk into like a sex shop and you see a choker, just call it a neck cozy and see the kind. Do you have any neck cozies? Do you have any neck cozies? <laughs> Last but not least, I would be remiss if I did not talk about the soundtrack of this movie. Sure. Um, to say I fell in love with the soundtrack would be an understatement. <laughs> I absolutely adore this. Like when I first, 
like when I first heard the movie, and I knew there was like a soundtrack. I listened to like one or two songs like back in December before I saw the film, and I'm like, eh. And it's mm-hmm. like next. And then I watched the movie and like I got to the end and I'm like, eh. <laughs> and then and, uh, much like um the creatures from Mars attack, I made the same noise. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, I, I, yeah, like a, a couple of days after the movie went by, I just kept thinking about the movie. First, it was one of those rare times where I couldn't stop thinking about a movie. And so like, I pull up the soundtrack on like, like iTunes, you know, I can just like preview it. I'm listening to it. And I'm like, man, this is like, I like this. So I'm like, I can't enjoy I can't enjoy music like about a movie like this. This feels wrong for some reason. Pop, <laughs> pop music is supposed to come from a happy place, not a sad place. And then, like, I kept thinking about it. I kept listening. And I added, like, a Spotify playlist. And I, just, I kept hoping that I'd land on it. And I'm like, oh, come on, come on. And then eventually I just downloaded the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, man, now, like, I just listen to it on loop. Like, I'll just sometimes, like, oh, man, I love it. And I'm not talking about, like, the, the, the score. I mean, like. Yo, yo, that, yeah, the, the soundtrack with all the oh, Thea songs and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know exactly it's, what you it's, mean. Like, it is, like, just pure pop bliss for Zachary. Nice. <laughs> like this is like, like it is just scratching that itch. Whoever Sia did when she wrote these, and whoever was the producer behind these, mm. oh man, you know what? Whoever you are, thank you. You gave Zachary everything. Because even like I, I've, like I know it's wrong to do this with pop music. It's kind of like analyzing like a Dairy Queen Sunday. You're not supposed <laughs> to do it. But like I'm listening, like I'm like I'm listening to the words of the soundtrack, and like there's certain songs. Like I'm going to read some of them right now. Okay. One of the songs is Firecracker. Okay. And this is this is the lyrics. No, I don't need no 4th of July. I'm a celebrate every night, every night, and I don't need no no chemicals. I'm credible. I provide my own fuel. Okay. <laughs> when I get close to your flame, make you say my name cuz I'm a firecracker. We're coming to the floor, make me scream for more. I'll be your firecracker. And watch the sparks fly as we ignite tonight. We are firecrackers. Firecracker, firecracker. Oh, let's slow <laughs> it down tonight. Slow it down tonight. And yeah, again, it, it's the and then like in, in my favorite. I was okay. going to ask you what I, I was going to ask you what your favorite song was on the soundtrack, so we could play it in reverse to end this episode. But now oh, I'm we'll just going to take. Now I'm just going to take <laughs> no. you saying. Whatever the oh firecracker firecracker oh I'm just gonna reverse that for like thirty seconds that was great <laughs> that's not the best that's not the best lyrics though so okay, like th- I'm okay, jumping this, the gun <laughs> now this is this is the song called private girl you know I'm a private girl I don't need to tell the world so I'm sticking to we're just friends but we're just friends I'm sticking to we're just friends we're just friends. You see, I'm a private girl. My secrets are here. Oh, I'm sticking to we're just friends, but we're just friends. I'm sticking to we're just friends. We're just friends. Going through the side door, separate cars and ignore. Gossip's looking to score or, 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 but I won't give up. My lips are sealed with love. I'll give you something you'll fall for. Like, it is just like superficial pop lyrics to like like absolutely (laughs) like i know like i I get it all pop music is just like superficial crap i can see that and i love it like i'm going to get fat on the cotton candy Mm -hmm. but like this is the level of just like like when sia wrote this like brady corbet had to go to sia and like sia is like 
again, I guess Rob could describe her better than I could. Like, she is the definition of just like uh, a workhorse in like the pop lyric, like pop music industry. Oh yeah, yeah, she is a, a huge part of of the music industry and and is very respectable as well. Yeah, but like. She's known for writing, I don't want to say fluff, but, like, it is, like, fluffy lyrics. Oh, yeah, she definitely, she she fills a niche, you know, really well that I think we, we didn't have for a while. Maybe yeah. harking back to our 18s discussion. <laughs> yeah, but she's, like, but think about Sia, though. Sia's been around for, like, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she's somebody that's, like, been working, like, as much as I talk about my, my, my uh, love for early 2000s pop. Like, she is somebody that was forged in that era. Yep. Yep. And I think however she did, it comes across and considering that Celeste story in Vox Lux is forged in early two thousands pop. That's another layer of this film that I can't figure out if Brady Corbet did on purpose or not with her. <laughs> it's like like when Sia like when Sia was like asked to do this, because I imagine it was Sia who was asked, not the other way around. It was like, okay, Sia, we need like pop music for this movie that I'm making. Mm-hmm. Did she look at the script or what what was she given at all from the movie? Like, did she do? I, I would imagine she probably wrote the songs before the movie was filmed, considering that the whole concert thing at the end. Yeah. So, like, was she given the script and just like like notes from the director? And, and like it was like, okay, I'm gonna make this the most like puff piece pop music ever. Like, this is like, I don't want to say it's as bad as Taylor Swift lyrics, but like <laughs> it's as bad as Taylor Swift lyrics. Yes, like, it's very just, basic. Like, it's either basic or almost nonsensical <laughs> in how basic it is. Like, like my favorite song on the entire album is called EKG. And I'm going to read the lyrics to this. You are my music. You're my heartbeat, too. Yeah. And when we do it, do it. I know I will get through it. I come alive. I hit flat line until you love me. Feel me. Check the EKG. My heart's like a house beat. EKG. Check the EKG G E K. Check the EKG G. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting Zach is reading me his his slam poetry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and that's what I mean, though. It's like that again. We'll play the EKG G song right here. It's like you listen to that and it's like this is just farcical like this is oh, the type yeah. of lyrics taylor swift would like kind of pull her collar at and be like ooh. it's like this is a little <laughs> too rough even for me was this intentional like i can't imagine you can make something that kind of just like airy and just oh god vacuous by accident mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, you have to do it. And so, like, again, I imagine Sia probably put more thought into it than the director did. I don't think Sia's done any interviews on this. Like, if she has, they're oh. very limited because I couldn't, I couldn't find any, any easily accessible ones. Okay. So, like, again, that, that's just another aspect of this movie. And even, like, going to, like, looking at the Blu-ray, there's, like, no bonus features on the Blu-ray. Oh, okay. you, just, you just have, like, a handful of interviews that, like, Natalie Portman, like, like some of the actors and Brady Corbet did on YouTube, and that's it. There's really nothing else beyond that. Man, that's that's crazy. But yeah, I, I really don't know. You know, it, this movie has so many different strange layers to it. It's and peeling them away. You know, I guess with the music, I should say thank you, Zach. I uh, if you had if you had not brought that up, I probably would have skipped the music in this music movie entirely. <laughs> yeah, I, that's. And I feel that because the music doesn't really like for a music about a pop singer. It doesn't play the 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 op like the oh god. It doesn't play the most profound role in the movie. It's not until the very end that we get kind of like the medley of all the songs. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's kind of, and that's weird because like you have like the moment where it is like a pop concert where even at the end, like like the sister and the daughter in the audience, and for most of the set list are like miserable. And then by the very end, they start to feel it, and even they kind of they get infected by just the rhythm of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you can win them back over. In that strange way, yeah. Because even like earlier in the film, terrible too. Because <laughs> even earlier in the film, like Celeste, like I think she's when she's explaining to like the punk rocker guy, she's like, "I like." She's like, "You're gonna laugh," and he's like, yep. "Why?" Like, I like doing pop music, and he's like, "Why would I laugh about that?" And she's like, "Well, people think it's silly, but I like." Me. And she's like, "Then why are you doing it?" Then she's like, "Well, I like making people feel good," mm-hmm. and that's and that's kind of, again like that's that's the essence of pop music. Like it's fluff. Again, it's cotton candy. It's it's there to make you feel good in the moment, and that's it. There's much like the EKG song showed us. There's nothing to it. It's just a nice beat with with a voice over it. Yeah, exactly. So okay, I found an article on Fresh Friction. Fresh Fiction TV says uh, about Sia's involvement with the film. Okay, at the top of the list was Sia, whose music career had landed her a laundry list of chart toppers for herself as well as other singers. Corbet further uh, commented, I wrote Sia, and she kindly opened up her library to us, stuff she had written a long, long time ago that she had Mm -hmm. produced around the time parts of the movie that took place. It was a process of mixing and matching lyrics and chorus and verses to make a soundtrack. Everything had to be re-recorded, reproduced by a few people. Greg Kirsten and the vocal producer, Christopher Braid, who recorded all the songs and did the vocal coaching. Natalie Portman was suitably impressed. She was given Sia's unreleased songs to work with. It was incredible when I received the script to have the Sia song with it. I remember getting an email with these attachments of the songs, and she sings them on the demos herself. So, of course, they're gorgeous, just beautiful, beautiful songs, and they're really great pop songs. I knew that it was realistic, but if you read a script and then it says, and then she writes a hit pop song, and we don't see the song, you're like, okay, good luck getting that. It was clear from the beginning that it had this incredible music. They're the real artist. Interesting. Um, Corbet mentioned that not just one, but two soundtrack releases are planned. There's going to be a Scott, Scott Walker score. Then there will be pop songs. We'll figure out how to meet in the middle, like on Spotify or something. And it's worth noting that both the score and the soundtrack were put together on the same album. Okay. Uh, Natalie Portman brought in her husband, dancer, filmmaker, choreographer, Benjamin Millipede, to choreograph the concert at the end. How it came together with Sia's older work, that's interesting. That's, a, that's actually a neat kind of, you know, inspiration for where this al- the album came from. In the, the album, it's broken down into the ones that Natalie Portman sings and the ones that Rafi Cassidy sings. Okay. And obviously the Rafi Cassidy ones were done when she's younger. Mm-hmm. And those songs, 
like those songs sound different. Like, like there's only really like I don't know. Like I know a couple weeks. I don't know. If, I don't know where I was hearing that. I think okay, I was watching something on YouTube a couple of days ago. It was like the backstory behind like Eiffel 65's uh, Blue Dabu Di Dabu Dai. And like in the like the one of the producers behind the song, because obviously all the interviews were done like in the last year, he's like, Oh, since in the early two thousands or the nineties are a lot different than since nowadays. Yep. And it's like, oh, and when I listen to the Rafi Cassidy songs, they don't sound like obviously they don't sound contemporary, but at the same time, they don't sound like stuff that was happening in the in the early two thousands. Oh, okay. okay. That's what I mean though. So like I I like obviously they got to make it commercial for 2018. Yeah. But at the same time though, I don't get that vibe that like, okay, this is this is steeped in early two thousands like pop music. And again, I'm not just saying like compared to the eighteens, but like you think of like what was popular in the early two thousands, like oops, I did it again. Christina Aguilera's "Baby, Come On Over," all I want is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what Mariah Carey was doing at that time, <laughs> but it, it's like that's what I think of. I don't, I don't know. I don't get that vibe from it exactly. I, I, I get that's what I mean. I, I feel like yeah, it's weird. There's something trying to be said here, but it's too scattershot to discern a purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point though about the music for sure. All right. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of until five minutes after we record i think that's all i have to say about vox lux for now (laughs) okay well then uh you want to move on to our our true questions oh yeah so i think we should start with cinemodity and late night movie and i'm going to give a resounding yes to both of them I think the cinemodity gets a yes because of, once again, it falls into the wonderful category of I get to interpret it and think about it in different ways. But at the same time, that's because it is so scattershot and so many different pieces and things like that. It's a wild ride from start to finish. And probably for the same reason or as a corollary of that reason, I think that I could show this to someone late at night, hook hook their attention hard with that school shooting because that's such like an attention grabber right at the beginning of this thing. And then, you know, get them to watch it and then actually, you know, get a reaction from them. Definitely the whole movie, specific scenes, I think it fits the bill. So yes to both. Definite cinemati. Late night movie, I'm not sure because I do think there are some points in this that that to the uninitiated, they do drag. I think there are moments where like you could be taken out. You know, I like I like certain shots again, like when Celeste is like in bed with the punk rocker guy, and it's a lot of just like them just sitting there. I think with some people that could just that could it slows down a little too much. There's not a Mm -hmm. lot going on in the frame. Late night movies kind of an iffy one for me. I I don't know how people would react to this. This is a like I I think it's accessible for anybody, but I do Mm -hmm. think there's certain things like the Natalie Portman performance will put people off. That's exactly what I'm, that diner scene is exactly what I'm thinking about, you know, with with any any crowd, anybody I would want to show this to late night movie. I think that's something that, you know, could definitely be get a reaction and be discussed about. And that's exactly what I'm thinking for late night movie is that scene. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have a feeling that would turn people off. I could not turn them off in a bad way, mm-hmm. but I think people would dismiss it because it's like, oh, it's just over the top. OK, OK, because that's what that's the weird thing is it is. To the uninitiated, it's a very hammy performance. And I think unless you really start to dissect the film, that you don't you you don't know what to make of that performance, so you really start to look at it with a fine like with a magnifying glass. Fair. 
Fair. So I'm gonna, I'm going I'm leaning. Okay, Rob's gonna put Rob put it in the spreadsheet. Yes. But maybe maybe for the the, the two year anniversary of Cinematis, I'll be <laughs> indeterminate again. Zach, I'll, you I'll, read I'll, you read my mind. I was about to say, you know, Zach, if you if you say indeterminate, we're gonna be talking about this again in what ten months, <laughs> eleven months. <laughs> See, that's what I'm doing. Gives me another excuse to talk about this. Um, <laughs> that's my secret, folks. If I tell them I'm undecided, I can talk about it again later on. I should have done that with real scary stories. In the 18th episode, okay. um, but no, I'm go- no, I'm gonna, I'm leaning toward a no. Okay, for okay. late night movie. With that, so is that the same as a low calorie no? It's it's exactly what I said it was. It leaves the door open if I ever have to come back to it. Okay, okay, I guess I guess I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeterminate. Oh great! <laughs> All right, so on to snacks. Um, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the low hanging fruit on this one, Zach. Well, I, I saw it as low-hanging fruit, but of course in that great diner scene uh, when Natalie Portman wants to get up, to, <laughs> she tells her daughter that she's going to get up and tell him, oh, I'm going to make him turn the music off. But she really ends up going up there to whisper to the waiter that she wants a soda for, a soda for her daughter and wine that doesn't suck in a cup with a lid. <laughs> so so I, I don't know if, I think, I think I've already said somewhere on Cinemodities that we should just like like sell full bottles of wine for one person and no shame if you drink it all. Like it's the no shame bottle of wine. I don't remember if I if I if I actually said that or if that was an idea I had. But you know, no shame, no shame wine. We will give you wine that doesn't suck, good wine, in a cup with a lid. And whether you know, sometimes you just got to drink wine that way. Whether it's because you're with your family or because you don't want other people to know what type of wine you're drinking. Um, you know, maybe carry some gum if you got red wine in that case, because the teeth will give it away. <laughs> but but what do you think? We you always we always say, which we don't think we need to say anymore, that we don't have enough beverages. <laughs> yeah, that's that, yeah. I I get on board with that because that's oh god, that's another fun scene. That's another. That's, that's just oh my lord. There's a oh god, that scene's so much fun. How, how are we oh, gonna yeah. put? I how are we gonna put a 15 minute long scene in the middle of this recording? <laughs> how are we going to do that? <laughs> oh, I if that scene's on YouTube if, if, Folks, if, if you can, go on YouTube And type in Natalie Portman restaurant scene Vox Lux You won't be disappointed you... Oh yeah, absolutely if you, like, if, you, if you are intrigued by that scene, watch the whole That's kind of like the litmus test for Vox Lux If you can watch that scene And you're not turned off by it You're most likely going to enjoy this movie <laughs> Yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, can, I like that I can get on board with that Okay, right on so that was that was actually the only snack that I, I wanted to pitch. But while we were discussing tonight, Zach, I got some ideas for some other, maybe not snacks, but some features of the uh, Cinemodities restaurant. Uh-oh. Have we established, do we have a gift shop? Have we ever discussed that? Do you recall? I, uh, we must have brought it up at some point, but nothing's I know, coming to, I, I come to like- mind. It's at the end of some horrific maze or something. For some reason, <laughs> I think that's what we discussed. Like there's some like Indiana... Like the you know the first Indiana Jones like the, all the arrows shooting and the ball rolling and if you survive you just end up in a gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if we don't have a gift shop, let's start selling some merchandise. And you had to see this one coming, Zach. We need some Cinemodities Restaurant neck cozies. <laughs> 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 I want the word Cinemodities just on like the front of it so you can see it. People that are looking at you can see it just loud and proud. <laughs> Forget the HMF IC hat. We're getting Cinemodities cozies. Yes. <laughs> the other one that I thought of from our discussion, um, I think that, you know, maybe instead of uh, a host or a hostess that seats people to their tables before the waiter gets to them, we have demonic handlers. 
Whatever that may be. <laughs> whatever that may be. <laughs> yes, whatever. The, uh, maybe they look like Jude Law. Maybe they don't. Maybe they look like, you know, Cthulhu or something like that. But <laughs> it's just the time of day you come in. Who's working that shift, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm cool with that. Okay, right on. Well, those were, those were my snack and restaurant contributions for Vox Lux. All right. I'm going to take the other low-hanging fruit from the diner scene. Doesn't the daughter, Albert, Albertine, like order like a pasta bowl or something? Oh, that's right. I think... Yeah, she orders it, or Natalie Portman says something like, no, I'm good with this this drink, just get her a pasta dish or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, pasta is definitely mentioned, you're right. We're going to have that on the menu as just a rather conventional cinematis item. No, like, no sprinkling ketamine in it or anything like that. Just, just a straight up, like, pasta You mean pasta the, the waiter doesn't have, like, the grated cheese thing, <laughs> but it's actually ketamine? <laughs> well, that's extra. It's there, but it's not a necessity to enjoy the dish. Okay, okay. Definitely. But my, my contribution to the restaurant, I might already have this somewhere, This is, but this is for Sin E. Monides. Ah, uh, gotcha. Is that, if you know if you go to a Chuck E. Cheese, I don't know if they still have them anymore, but they used to. Like, like you go and they have, like, the animatronic, like, Chuck E. and his band. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have that, but it's Natalie Portman as uh, Celeste. <laughs> like performing music or yeah, like more yes. like the diner scene stuff? <laughs> no, no, not at all. We can only hope it's a diner scene. She chews scene. you out if you put like a quarter in the machine. She just starts <laughs> screaming at you. <laughs> she, she asks if you're retarded. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, but no, we have it. We have it at the It's basically, it, it, it does the performances from the thing at the end. She sings the EKG song. She sings the private girl song. She, you put, you, you like every, like if it's somebody, some kid's birthday, she performs. It's an, it's, it's a Natalie Portman animatronic. Oh, I like that. So will there be, will there be like, we have to build like a little stage for this with like a screen oh, behind it? Okay. Oh, definitely. Okay. So what do you think about at the end of the performance? on the screen, like that's been, I'm sure showing visuals, you know, maybe colors, lights the whole time that, you know, like the lights go down and the screen comes on and it says something like, and she sold her soul to the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Just like we just show those words and nothing else at the end of every performance. And the whole restaurant is like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Bingo. 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 Okay. I like it. I like that. We'll actually have a stage in the cinematic restaurant. I can't believe we didn't think of that before. Yeah. it's, It's there now. We'll have some uh, performances. Absolutely. No, no, it's the Vox. It's called the Vox Lux stage. It's, oh, we it, can't like change it no, out. Cha- no, what? no, absolutely not. It's, I don't it's know if like, I can get behind that. It's we like need the some an- versatility. It's like the animatronics in Chuck E. Cheese. They get replaced only when they stop working. <laughs> how about how about I, I offer up a compromise, Zach? Okay, are you ready? Okay. We make the stage multi-use. Doesn't always have Vox Lux on it performing her songs that's what i want and the trade that i'll give you is that we do have the nelson della rosa waiter but <laughs> but he punches people in the nuts on the stage as one of the other <laughs> things to use the stage for that i will give you the nelson della rosa waiter if you give us a, a real stage in the restaurant <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. i didn't have the nelson della rosa waiter this entire time no, I'm pretty sure we never came to an agreement because I, I wanted the Richard Stanley waiter and you wanted the Nelson De La Rosa. And we, we both said we could only have one. one. Just fought about it. And I'm, I think in the spreadsheet, it says Robert Zach cannot agree <laughs> which waiter to have. <laughs> We're split, folks. We're split. I know. I'm, going with, the Vo- I'm going with the Vox Lux animatronic on the stage. Exclusive oh. Vox Lux. And considering the shelf life of one of these animatronics is about like 12 years, you're going to be hearing the <laughs> EKG, EKG song a lot. God. Well, fans of the restaurant, I was I was fighting for some variety of the music. You can't nope. can't can't say I didn't I didn't try. <laughs> nope, absolutely not. 
Oh, that's great. <laughs> Absolutely not. You can't get eight. I can't get eight teams in there. So you know what? I'm gonna get the very next best thing. Right on. Yeah, we couldn't. What did I? I think I pitched for the 18s that we want to get them to dance, and it, it, that provides nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, since that's off the table, we'd rather just put all that money into, uh, you know, Vox Lux animatronics. Right. <laughs> Is are, are we going to give this dude like Natalie Portman and the director? Are they all going to get like royalties or something from this? Only if Brady Corbet tells us what the movie's about. <laughs> that, okay, that's our trade to him. I that's our, him. Yes. Okay, <laughs> we'll give him like a one percent royalty of just the money that goes into the Vox Lux machines. <laughs> there you go. In between takes, the the Natalie Portman animatronic like starts to like come on to like the fathers if they have drugs. Like, if you, like there's a father there with his kid's birthday or something. It starts like asking for ketamine in between like performances. <laughs> I thought this was a robot. <laughs> and if you have like your little like plastic cup full of wine it disappears like wait it wasn't my glass just full it was, That's the, anima- great. That's it was the animatronic <laughs> <laughs> she haunt at night it's much like night in the museum she gets up and she wanders around the yes. the, the cinema of these restaurants <laughs> nice yeah don't get trapped in there after dark <laughs> no, if, if like a teenage daughter she locks your daughter in the bathroom with a pregnancy test at night if you stay too long Take this pregnancy test and be frightened about it. But I'm the man. I can't get pregnant. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> oh God, Rob. So uh, we know how we're going to end this episode, right? Yeah. If you're saying that EKG is your favorite on the album, I must say I don't have a favorite because I haven't listened to it. And All of your favorite. I, I guess so. I guess it's just you know uniform across the board. But yeah, let's take EKG and let's let's play that in reverse for our uh, our second music movie. Let's get some actual music in here. Yeah. <laughs>